This is AI for Leaders by AI Leaders. Practical, to-the-point content, helping you drive results with AI. Here's Chris and Frank. Hi, welcome to the AI for Leaders podcast. I'm Frank Strickland. I'm Chris Whitlock. Uh, Chris, before we get into today's topic, which is going to be around model development in the AI space, uh, we want to offer to our listeners uh, a free gift. Uh, if you go to AILeaders.com, uh, we have something there for you that is relevant to project leadership, and it is covering a step in the project process for AI that no other methodology out there today covers. And so we want to offer that to help you, uh, whether you're leading a project or you're leading a program or you're interacting with people in the project process, we want to offer that to you. We think it'll be helpful in you uh, creating and delivering results through AI projects. So Chris, what are we talking about in this episode? I think the essence of what we're about today is helping leaders uh, think about and balance the AI hype and then the reality of what comes from AI development and deployment. We'll use a real world case uh, to just to illustrate some of the challenges and getting a little bit beyond kind of first surface concepts and excitement to what, what are some of the challenges that come up in, in performance. So if you're really excited about AI, really excited, um, or if you're a bit cynical or skeptical, uh, or you're someone who has to deal with those who are really excited or those who are cynical and susceptible, I have now covered the entire universe of humans. Um, this episode is for you. So Chris, where do you want to start? Well, I was just laughing as you were saying that, and sorry we didn't haven't talked about this at all, but I was remembering a story from our, our time in the remote sensing arenas, uh, space sensing, aircraft sensing, and I was in a really passionate discussion with a fellow uh, who was smart, uh, long-term uh, military member, uh, senior officer, and he was very passionate that we should be able to rapidly develop a particular sensing capability. It was something that he had experienced in a video game. And as I was interacting with him, it just struck me, you would need about three, maybe four Nobel Prize winning breakthroughs in order to make that thing real. You know, it's easy to conceptualize, it was easy to talk about, but to make it real, is hard. And to me, that's a lot of what we have to balance in this space is it's easy to conceptualize AI applications. Sometimes that works to our great benefit, but other times if it's detached from the reality of development and deployment of models, it actually hurts us. And it, it to me, it's corrosive to what we're trying to accomplish with AI. So we need some realism in the mix without losing the excitement. Yeah, yeah, here, here. The, uh, it's interesting to me in going around and we've been around with a lot of groups, just when you think about what types of problems might lend themselves well 
to AI development and deployment. And just to be clear, there are some basic fundamentals that we would expect. It, it's something that happens fairly repetitively. Uh, so a human does it, they, they do it uh, pretty repetitively. That may be to fairly strict standards or, or general guidelines, and that lends itself to AI and machine learning types of modeling. If I have a repetitive process, it's routinized, even better, it happens at a very high volume, so it's sucking up a lot of hours and, and time uh, yeah. in the human context. But to me, the others are, are, regard data types. And I think our experience has been people tend to think I would argue rightly, tabular data, numeric tabular data is relatively easier to attack than, um, say, text data that is unstructured or unstructured signal data, image data, things of that nature, which may require more work to get to a, a point of high performance, they're doable, eminently doable, some huge mm -hmm. successes there. But just when you think about e what is easier, people need to develop that capability as a leader. You need to develop a capability and just a sense for knowing what's harder, what's easier, and how do I explore that with the right kinds of questions? Yeah, thinking back on our careers, Chris, so it, very simply, and we were doing this in the late 80s, early 90s in the classified reconnaissance program that we were working at Naval Research Laboratory, um, what is now part of the National Reconnaissance Office. Um, very early days, just seeing a certain type of emitter and seeing that emitter behave in a certain pattern then allowed us to ring an alert to a watchstander and say, hey, the Soviets are probably conducting this type of activity. Now, fast forward, you know, to the present with the compute and the modeling capabilities, but especially the data and the compute available to the models um, and the math capabilities, looking at a wide variety of parametric data, uh, of structured data, and doing things like predicting when there might be a certain type of military event that we want to warn the U.S. military of, right? That's what that that is an example of what you're talking. It would about. be an example, and and something that may not be that extreme, but a a predictive maintenance example. So I have streaming data, telemetry data from different sensors that are on an aircraft or a ground vehicle. That data is coming to me in a structured format. It may be largely numeric. Can I build a model that gets in front of equipment failure so that I can run some form of preventative maintenance uh, in order to avoid uh, more harsh amounts of downtime. So yeah, to me, they can range very widely. Well, they do range very widely. Basically yeah. anything a human is doing in looking at data regularly, uh, yeah, is a potential place yeah. to deploy AI fruitfully. Yeah, when you say when you emphasize potential, I'm chuckling, Chris, because I'm thinking of a colleague that we worked with, and you you said this earlier. This particular colleague, and in a number of these cases where people were very excited, smart people, and and technically 
competent people, you know, with advanced technical degrees in math or computer science, et cetera. And if he were a party of this conversation, he would come down very strong. Uh, auto ML, auto machine learning, uh, the types of models, you know, broadly that Chris and I are referring to kind of fit within the category of machine learning that we can talk about uh, in a different episode. But, but he would be like, hey, you've got the data. Uh, you can go to this auto ML capability we with this cloud service provider. Plug it. <laughs> yes. Right. In, yeah. in Kentucky, we would call that, yeah. yeah. In Kentucky, yeah. we would call that Shazam. Yeah. Uh, and, and it would happen. Um, so maybe want to take an example, uh, and walk them through. Yeah. I was struck by one that, uh, that I had run across in an article, uh, very recently. And I thought it would be useful to show that. But if you think about, what is an activity that humans are engaged in regularly that all of us, everybody listening to this has some involvement here. This pertains to stock market investment decisions. So can AI related capabilities help us pick a stock to invest in, you know, over some period of time, if I've got a portfolio, can it also make recommendations to me on when to sell that? because I'm trying to optimize the performance of my portfolio. And that's something humans do. It goes on all the time. We got a lot of hands on it. Uh, ha and have been doing it for decades. A long time, right? And it's a very data rich, it's a very data rich environment. I mean, yeah. when the stock markets are up every day, you've got a gigantic amount of information that is passing over networks. Um, across the range of stocks. And a lot of that is structured and numeric data. But then there's also, you know, there are articles and uh, analyst reports and things like that that are being written. Can I use AI to outperform humans in the selection of stocks for a portfolio? And uh, there was a recent article, I think we ought to pop that up, Frank, and just use that okay. and talk through it a little bit. All right, let's take a look at the article. So, Chris, here we have an article from uh, Bloomberg uh, on uh, that effort uh, to train AI models to outperform humans in managing these stock portfolios. Yeah, and I thought this was really done. Aaron Brown, who uh, wrote this, it's a short, crisp piece. You can look it up. We're not going to scroll through the whole thing. But there's something in the first paragraph there, Frank, if you if you just pause there, his sentence is, after all, humans are notoriously bad at investing. That we might take as a clue. So <laughs> we, we want to outperform humans with AI. Computers can run 24 seven, 365. Uh, they don't get tired. They don't sweat uh, per se. Obviously we, we can exceed the, the limitations of them, but we're trying to build AI and machine learning solutions largely around these environments which have a heavy repetitive content, they're routinized, there's some kind of standard or guidelines to help you navigate to the creation of a high-performing AI solution. And I read this article and, and it literally rocked me back when I saw that sentence in the first paragraph. Humans are notoriously bad 
interesting, uh, was my first thought. Now, he's already given away the bottom line of the title, which is the early AI efforts with this, and he uses, and we won't go through them in detail, but he uses a couple of specific stock portfolios and efforts which have been founded around AI models to select stocks, uh, both for uh, acquisition into the portfolio and, and selling them out of the portfolio. Bottom line is, it's performing half as well or less then indexes are performing in the same area uh, where humans are putting together um, indexes or, or humans are putting together portfolios. AI is not performing spectacularly. Right. And I, I think what's interesting about that to me, Frank, is, you know, when you think about it and we think about machine learning, so I might take six months window on a particular stock and it's going up in performance. Well, that might be a success case for training. So I can take that snippet, hey, that looks good. What's the data around that that helps me to predict when it's likely to be on that upward slope again? You know, you can notionalize that, you can conceptualize uh, that. And in math, we don't have to have the picture, you know, we just need the data. But it's not hard to conceptualize how you could apply machine learning. But I think when you pause and think about it, you can begin to notionalize, well, what would some of the challenges be in doing that? Like, is it one model? Is it many models, what is the challenge in creating a high-performing solution that will accurately pick when to onboard and offboard a stock out of a portfolio? And for what industries? Is it the same model for all industries? Is it the same model or modeling approach for large cap stocks as well as small cap stocks, you know, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I was reminded, and yeah, people that are very familiar in the modeling and simulation space would not be surprised, but there was a period of time where I had to focus attention on energy, the Department of Energy, et cetera, and they have some very large-scale models in the DOE environment, Department of Energy environment. One of them is the National Energy Modeling System, NEMS, and You've got the Energy Information Agency that pulls a lot of this together and will orchestrate evolutions with NEMS. I was in a passionate discussion with some people at one point, and um, they were remarking because we were having troubles nationally. It was in a period of uh, significant economic distress, but the models were suddenly performing quite poorly. And a facet of the commentary was, we often build these modeling and simulation solutions with some expectations around stable process performance, stable relationships. And then when we get into periods that run outside those normal expectations, the model performance suddenly plummets. 
Well, you can imagine that could be an issue in a stock market context. Yeah. I don't. The basic word an investor money. would be thinking of here is volatility. Yeah, 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 exactly. And these, interestingly, if you read this article that Aaron put together, some of the volatility metrics are not that wildly different in this particular setting. You know, what I'm giving you is not uh, that NEMS example is not immediately equal what's happening here, but it makes me mindful of it, meaning it's not a slam dunk to build a model in an area like this that will outperform. And when we approach predictive maintenance, logistics, uh, ISR applications, targeting, command, yeah, command decision making to include targeting, um, there are a lot of complexities in creating these solutions well, particularly when they're going to be in the context of autonomous systems. So now I'm wrapping it in some physical apparatus and expecting the machine uh, to drive performance well. Irrespective of the task, it doesn't need to be a combat task. It can be combat support or other combat service support task, but we should just be mindful of that. Now, yeah. one thing that was interesting to me, oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? No, no, I just, you know, at this point, so, you know, back to those three classes of people, they're, they're people that are kind of drunk on the hype. They're people who are just gigantic Eeyores. Um, and, you know, if you're not hip to Tigger and Eeyore, you know, you need to go look at some YouTube videos, just kind of classic uh, animated characters. But th there are people that are just Johnny Raincloud, Eeyores, um, who right now are, you know, really happy because they're going CCC, you know, this, it can outperform humans. Uh, and, and then you have the majority of people, um, who are in neither one of those polls. They're the majority of people that actually have to get some stuff done. Um, and they don't have time for the hype and they don't have time for, uh, the cynicism. Um, and so, you know, our interest is, is in helping that third group. Yeah, exactly. And that rings with me. There, There is one other facet in Aaron's article that, that struck me, and I think it's a useful principle for leaders as you're thinking about balancing hype and reality. When we look to replace entirely uh, or substantially human activity, that's really hard. But there are a range of things that can be done with this technology which augment the human performance and take some of the just the tedious, the toil uh, out of the equation. And there's a facet of this article that Aaron breaks down which deals with processing text relative to stocks. And I think we can all understand the volumes that are out there today make it difficult for any given stock analyst to look at all of the material. But if we can use AI-enabled capabilities to prioritize things that they should look at, to highlight content that may be relevant, you're aiding the human there. You're not making the stock select decision but you are aiding them in having a better contextual understanding, finding things they might not have otherwise missed or improving timeliness of discovery. There are different metrics that you could look at and that's much more doable. And some of that is going on in the marketplace there and it's material, it matters. You know, there are a lot of things that are happening still 
that matter. But if you set your eye on the big cigar, so to speak, I want a model that picks stock to sell or to buy into a portfolio. That's a tough nut. And yeah. to date, despite multiple years of performance, the evidence would indicate we're not there yet. Yeah. On yeah. And if we take some missions, you know, I alluded to warning uh, a bit ago. So we have done some work, Chris, in the not distant past that would demonstrate that an ensemble, a, a collection of different modeling types working on different types of data um, can do a pretty decent job in supporting one of the fundamental missions of the U.S. intelligence community, which is warning. So, so warning of uh, a major military exercise, for example, you know, two to three to four weeks before the exercise actually kicks off so that, you know, U.S. commanders and decision makers and operators have an opportunity, having been warned, you know, to do something about that, whether it's surveil it or, you know, if it was, you know, a concern about it not being an exercise, an actual operation to get postured, to deter it, you know, defeat it, et cetera. Um, so, you know, we've seen those types of advanced applications work and we believe in them because we've demonstrated them, but they're not replacing all of the humans that are involved in the decision-making cycle about making a call because frankly, what you get out of the model is a probabilistic estimate of this event happening in you know said period of time two weeks three weeks etc and so they're they're not taking all of the humans out of the process uh but they are augmenting and greatly helping the humans uh in in putting together a prediction of of whether a given event might happen in a given time period yeah i think that's a great way to summarize that and and if leaders can just work on that balance um, particularly in the upfront, when we're thinking about program integration, uh, new project starts, et cetera, uh, there's some really important activities that happen in that window. And it's a, it's a critical place for leaders to engage, uh, especially senior leaders, uh, to ensure that we're thinking in a good balanced way, uh, the hype and the, and the reality. So that word balance, Chris, caused us uh, to create an axiom. When we wrote our book, um, in the process of, of writing the book, you came up with this concept of we need to take these enduring principles we've learned about how to lead advanced analytics and AI from development to deployment to, to maintenance and operations. Um, and, and there are some enduring realities that leaders are going to encounter. We just called those axioms. And so it's, it's a part of the book. It's a part of the courses that we teach. Um, and this, this balance that you allude to is, is what we call axiom zero. Uh, and I like to say, you know, there's this void between aspiration where frankly the hype can live sometimes and operations um, and, mm -hmm. and leaders, you know, want to be able to live in that void and make something practical happen. 
And so we just said somewhat tongue in cheek that the axiom was we're not interested in Tiggers or Eeyores and neither Tiggers nor Eeyores and, and you shouldn't either. Um, the the naive optimist, the, the person who is all swelled with the hype, you know, you really don't need running around in your program, but you, you don't need the needless cynics either. And we've mentioned this a couple of times, we just foot stomp it one last time. The, the cynics sometimes are some of the most technically smart people that you can interact with. They just have a failure of imagination. And so what we did to capture, you know, how leaders can navigate that is this twofold principle. You, you've, you've got to contextualize what you're doing to actual mission task. And in the book, we spend, you know, multiple chapters uh, dealing with portions of that. We also deal with it in our courses. How do you do that? How do you contextualize AI uh, to mission tasks? And, and then the flip is you, you don't want to narrowly constrain your imagination so that you can never envision, oh, just a cynic flat out saying, what? I've been working in warning for 30 years. You'll never have a model that can do my work. Well, actually, I can remember a deputy director of a prominent agency where we used to be uh, and interacted a lot who, uh, with a tremendous amount of stridency, said, you will never make automatic target recognition work for image data. Yes. Um, and at the never. time... It was not unfair at the time with the compute infrastructure, et cetera, but that doesn't age well as compute capacity increases and as our knowledge in computer vision and whatnot has has improved. And I still vividly remember those interactions. But yes, it's finding the balance. Uh, that guy did not want for technical aptitude. No, no, no. I know who you're talking about. No, he not only did he not want for technical aptitude, especially in that domain that he was commenting on. I admire him. I admire yeah. Right. yeah, he was one of the sharpest people out there. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we would just, we would offer this axiom um, and the definition here um, and then you know, how you contextualize uh, to mission tasks. Uh, you can find more detail on that in our book, uh, Winning the National Security AI Competition, a practical guide for government and industry leaders available on Amazon, et cetera. Um, and we also uh, go into great detail on that um, in our courses. Uh, you can learn more uh, about the courses uh, at our website, AILeaders.com. That's AILeaders.com. Um, and you can also give us feedback. Please do. We, we value your feedback. Give us feedback on this episode uh, where you agree, where you disagree, uh, things that you think should be added that would be helpful to other leaders. Uh, let us know topics and questions that you would like to see covered, maybe guests that you would like to see uh, on the pod, and we'll do our best uh, to respond to that. Again, if you go to that website, AILeaders.com, uh, we have a gift that we would like to give you, and it is a short document that covers an activity in the project process uh, that is not covered in any other AI project process uh, that is out there. So uh, thank you uh, for listening. 
Uh, please rate and review us uh, on YouTube uh, if you're watching this or, or on Apple, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you very much. We appreciate you. Indeed.